Welcome to the Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. In this week's headlines, the U.S. military will soon provide full veterans' benefits to those who are ousted under the hideous Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy. California is set to make stealthing illegal. A transgender high school student made history at their homecoming celebration, and the Tony Awards returned celebrating the best of Broadway in a blaze of inclusion, diversity, and stunning performances. All that and more in this episode of The Randy Report. As the United States marked the 10th anniversary of the repeal of the hideously discriminatory Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy that barred LGBTQ Americans from serving openly in the U.S. military, the Biden administration has announced that veterans who were discharged under the policy may soon be able to receive the full benefits from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs they deserve. The policy change will afford LGBTQ veterans the opportunity to receive assistance ranging from medical and mental health care, disability benefits, college tuition, and home loans. During the time of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, those who were discharged were given other than honorable discharges, which disqualified them for veterans' benefits. Under the new policy, the department will review the cases of those who received other than honorable discharges, And provided there was no reasonable justification for the discharge, such as a criminal history, security violations, or other unacceptable behavior, they will reinstate educational, housing, pension, health care, and burial benefits for them. It's estimated that nearly 14,000 veterans were discharged under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which first went into effect in 1994 under President Bill Clinton as a compromise between the Clinton White House and a Congress that favored keeping the ban on LGBTQ service members. Under that compromise, at least in theory, service members would not be asked about their sexual orientation or gender identity, and service members were not to disclose information to others about their private sexual behavior. The problem, of course, ended up being that the policy was never enforced as intended. When the policy was finally repealed during the Obama administration, that meant queer military service members would no longer have to suffer the indignity of having to lie about basic aspects of their lives in order to serve in uniform. It also meant freedom from harassment and abuse from colleagues and leaders who ignored the policy's specific threshold meant to end the hounding of suspected service members. Also last week, President Biden issued a statement commemorating the anniversary of the repeal, and he reiterated his support for open service. As an example, he pointed to his kept campaign promise to reverse the Trump administration's ban on most transgender military service members. Earlier this month, California's state legislature unanimously approved a bill making it illegal to remove a condom during sex without consent a practice also known as stealthing. The current bill would recognize stealthing as sexual battery in the state's civil code, allowing survivors to sue perpetrators for damages. 
a 2018 study found that one in five men and one in three women have experienced stealthing. While the origins of the current legislation were begun by heterosexual lawmakers, stealthing has long been known in the LGBTQ community, where in some instances, HIV-positive men were actively trying to pass the virus to an HIV-negative man without their partner's knowledge or consent. California would become the first state to make stealthing illegal if Governor Gavin Newsom signs the bill into law by October 10th. Currently, several Western European countries like the UK, Germany, and Switzerland already prosecute stealthing as a form of sexual assault. The American Civil Liberties Union of Indiana has filed a lawsuit on behalf of a high school gay-straight alliance after the principal indicated the group cannot publicize its events or even its existence on school bulletin boards or the school radio station, as other non-curricular groups are able to do. In a press statement, the ACLU explained that Pendleton Heights Gay-Straight Alliance is a student-led organization for high school students at Pendleton Heights High School that provides gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, non-binary, and allied students to meet and provide social, emotional, and educational support to one another. The American Civil Liberties Union of Indiana filed a lawsuit on behalf of the Gay-Straight Alliance, claiming that the school has imposed undue, unequal burdens on the student group. Kit Malone, an advocacy strategist at ACLU of Indiana, said in a statement, This group aims to create an environment that provides support to students during a time that otherwise might be increasingly difficult for LGBTQ students. The differential treatment aimed at Pendleton Heights Gay-Straight Alliance by administrators is unwarranted, and these students must be treated in the same manner that all other student groups are treated. The lawsuit alleges the different treatment of the Gay-Straight Alliance violates the First Amendment, the Equal Access Act, and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Now, how about some good news from the high school? A transgender high school student in Orlando, Florida, was elected homecoming queen by her supportive schoolmates, according to the local NBC News affiliate. Olympia High School student Evan Bailosuknia told the news outlet, It made me feel like I actually belonged. Not just like a joke, because that was one of my fears. I was in bed one night like, what if they were just doing this to laugh at me? But according to the NBC News affiliate, the 17-year-old said she didn't know what to expect when she decided to run for homecoming queen at her school. But she said, I wanted to have that moment of glory. And after being crowned, Bailo Suknia took to Instagram posting that she had made history. And she soon realized there was no need to have worried that the moment would be spoiled. The NBC News affiliate reported that the sincerity of her schoolmates became obvious when the homecoming game's halftime brought a show of support from her friends and classmates and the crowned homecoming king. Currently in the early stages of transitioning, the 17-year-old says the show of support, quote, made me realize I was not alone and I don't have to go through this alone. She added that in that moment on the football field, the homecoming king was just a great person. He made me feel like any other girl. Now, if you've been paying attention to what's happening across the country, a growing number of schools are changing their traditions to allow the inclusion of LGBTQ students in homecoming and prom courts. 
For instance, in 2017, a trans teenager was elected homecoming king at his main high school. And in 2019, a gay student in Tennessee was elected to his school's homecoming royalty using gender-neutral titles for the homecoming court. In 2016, a lesbian couple became the first gay prom king and queen in their school's centuries-long history. And this past April, a lesbian couple in a conservative Ohio county were named the first queer prom king and queen at their high school. Now, part of this evolution is explained by studies that show younger generations are much more accepting and supportive of LGBTQ people. A 2018 Pew Research Center poll found that nearly half, 48% of Generation Z, those born after 1996, feel that legalizing same-sex marriage is a good thing for society, versus only 15% saying it's a bad thing. Now, if you compare those numbers to a poll of baby boomers, approval drops to 27%. And a Gallup report published this year found that one in five Gen Zers identify as, quote, something other than heterosexual. Progress, kids. Moving up on the educational ladder, the University of Michigan marching band celebrated the school's LGBTQ plus students, staff, and supporters on Saturday with a homecoming halftime show dedicated to the 50th anniversary of the university's Spectrum Center, a space at the school that supports advocates, and educates around LGBTQ plus topics. Music from the performance included hits from Diana Ross, Lady Gaga, Whitney Houston, Madonna, Kim Petras, Andrew Gold, Sister Sledge, and Cyndi Lauper. This is at a college football halftime show, folks. John Pasquale, a professor of conducting and the director of the university's marching band, says he wanted to make a public statement in support of his students and in support of the Spectrum Center. Pasquale told the advocate, quote, I was proud to do it. We just, as a community, came together, and there it is. He shared that the show took about seven to eight months to plan and coordinate, explaining, quote, The point we're trying to make is that love is love, and love wins. That concept was expanded into the music, marching formations, and visuals. Additionally, the creative team went to the band's LGBTQ plus students and asked what songs they resonated with and which were representative of their experiences. Rachel Zhang, a clarinet player in the marching band who identifies as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, said she hopes that people who watch the show see that even at a large university, there's a significant number of people that advocate for the LGBTQ plus community. Since the big halftime show... Zhang said she's had professors and students compliment the band and the show, adding, quote, It's been very nice and positive. This was our week. This was the week for the LGBTQ plus community to feel seen and to feel valued and respected. And it was a really beautiful thing to see. The Tony Awards, celebrating the best of Broadway, returned last weekend after two-and-a-half-year absence due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I wanted to share just a few thoughts on the awards. First, I'm over the moon that the brilliant play The Inheritance won for Best Play, written by Matthew Lopez, Best Performance by a Leading Actor in a Play, given to Andrew Burnap, Best Performance by a Featured Actress in a Play, honoring the luminous Lois Smith, 
and the director, Stephen Daldry, took home the trophy for best direction of a play. As I've noted on the Randy Report, I was able to see the deeply moving production before Broadway shut down 18 months ago, and I adored it. Moulin Rouge, the musical, won 10 Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Performance by a Leading Actor in a Musical for Aaron Dwight, Best Performance by a Featured Actor in a Musical honoring Danny Burstein, possibly the most well-liked man on Broadway, and Alex Timbers took home the trophy for Best Direction of a Musical. This was the only musical I was able to see prior to the curtain coming down on Broadway, but I think it brings a lot of the energy and spirit of the celebrated film by Baz Luhrmann. The evening celebration was split into two parts, a two-hour presentation of most of the awards on the Paramount Plus streaming platform, followed by a two-hour celebration of Broadway with presentations of the three best musical nominees, Moulin Rouge the Musical, Tina the Tina Turner Musical, and Jagged Little Pill, as well as bringing back past magical moments from The Great White Way. Perhaps the most ferocious moment of the night was when Tony Award winner Jennifer Holliday, who took home a Tony 40 years ago for her starring role in Dreamgirls, returned to deliver her Scorched Earth Act 1 finale, and I'm telling you I'm not going. Even past the wild standing ovation, the next three winners all referenced Holiday's amazing performance in their acceptance speeches. All of the performances underscored a message of inclusivity and diversity. Six-time Tony Award winner Audra McDonald, who hosted the first half of the night, reprised Wheels of a Dream with her ragtime co-star, Tony Award winner Brian Stokes Mitchell. Kristen Chenoweth and Adina Menzel, the two original witches from Wicked, reteamed for a gorgeous For Good. Andrew Reynolds and Titus Burgess reimagined It Takes Two from Into the Woods as a same-sex couple rediscovering their love in the woods, and for once, the in-memoriam tribute lived up to its task. Brian Stokes Mitchell delivered a soaring The Impossible Dream, followed by Norm Lewis and Kelly O'Hara performing Somewhere from West Side Story to perfection, all while never distracting from saying goodbye to those we lost over the year. All in all, I thought the evening was a smashing success. You can view many of those highlights from the night, as well as a complete list of those who took home a Tony on therandyreport.com. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you would share it with your friends. I like to think of The Randy Report as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you next time.